I want a tear gas astronaut helmet. That'd be awesome. Is that what the <laughs> astronauts wear them for? So they don't get tear gassed? During riots. Yeah. Astronaut yeah. riots. Yeah. Space riots. <laughs> Space insurrections. There was. So that, that showed up on my Facebook a while ago. I, I didn't know the Skylab astronauts uh, went on strike. That's- well, that's what the really? Space Force is for. <laughs> Space Force. Trump, yeah, Trump was on top of it. <laughs> it was, it's Get happening. Their, it's happening in space. Their Just, billy you know, clubs out, knock around Antifa. a couple of astronauts who get out of line. In space. Trying to unionize. Mm-hmm. They're probably pretty easy to knock around, right? They're pretty weak after being up yeah. there for so long. Yeah, their but bone density is, <laughs> is shit. Hanging out with a bunch of Soviets. <laughs> so our, fir- our first quiz for the day is, would you fight an astronaut? Scott, would you fight an astronaut, yes or no? No, but I would make love to an astronaut. Okay. Jim, would Already you? Already have. <laughs> I have. Check, check the NASA. If you can, you know, check, check the, the, the files. But you won't, you, won't, you won't get past the front door. It's all hidden. Oh, you think you think that it's impossible to get through the doors of a federal institution? <laughs> Let me let you in on something, Jim. My eyes. Here's what happened. Rick, would you fight an astronaut? Yeah, like right after that year-long stint in space, definitely. If they're oh, yeah, they're popping out fun. of the the uh, the barometric chamber or whatever, and yeah, I I deck them. Would you? What, would, maybe would you would row right up. You'd row up to the capsule, and as the door opens, <laughs> just take you a shot at him. Exactly. As soon, as soon as they pop out of the capsule, just take a swing at him. Gravity loser, weak, no gravity loser. Welcome to Lost and Found and Rewound, a podcast about obscure films we rented in video stores back in the eighties and nineties. Today, we will explore the bi-directional nature of the term rented. I'm Chris Lost. I'm Found Jim. I'm Rick Re- <laughs> Damn. Take two. I'm Rick Rewound. I have to stop. I have, I have to say my first name, and then I have to stop and say Rewound. If I try to say Rick Rewound, that's when it all goes wrong. Too many W's. Yeah. Too many W's. <laughs> one. One W. And we have a guest today. We're doing a rewind episode, but before we get to that, I've got a couple administrative things I'd like to go through. So, first, uh, the, our fan mail segment, of course. Uh, I'd like to take this time to read out all our our fan emails. <laughs> okay, I want to uh, do a segment called "I Apologize." I'd like to say sorry to the Heart Fund for calling it the Harp Foundation. It is the Heart H A R T Fund. Uh, that is associated with the Blues Foundation, and it can be found at https colon forward slash forward slash blues.org forward slash h-a-r-t dash fund. All right, I want to apologize to the people of the United Kingdom. I am sorry I imply that your country is small. I said it was about the size of the state of Illinois. That is not true. The UK is almost double the size of the state of Illinois. It's 94,000 square miles compared to Illinois' 58,000 square miles. And the UK has nearly five times the amount of people with 66 million over Illinois' 13 million. And I'm does sorry. That in, does that include Wales? That includes Wales, right? It does, yeah. yeah. Okay. There, we don't and have I, any Wales. Wales are in the ocean. There, there are no <laughs> Wales in Lake Michigan. 
No, it's counting the whales that swim around the UK. They count them as oh, UK citizens. Oh, their whales, <laughs> not are, our whales. Are you counting our whales in Lake Michigan? Yeah. You How have many whales? whales do we have in Lake Michigan? They're not freshwater. <laughs> Don't you have an aquarium yeah. in Chicago? Yeah, do they have beluga. a whale there? Did you count the beluga whales? Yeah. Yes. And then the, the, the dolphins are smarter too, right? They should count. Yeah, we, we count. That's we counting dolphins, dolphins too. Okay. Okay. Dolphins too, and yeah. whales. And I'm sorry I said that the UK doesn't have an abundance of beautiful people. Some of those beautiful people in the world came from the UK, like Julie Christie, Helen Mirren, Princess Diana, and Michael Hutchins, just to name a few. <laughs> Michael Hutchins Michael is Hutch- from <laughs> UK? Come on. Oh, you're right. They don't have that many good-looking people. What about, what about Jude Law? Is he from England? I think so. Okay. Or Wales. We'll, we'll put him in there. Last thing is, I'm sorry for saying that Elvis's racquetball court couch was satin. It was actually leather. Can't hmm. believe I made that mistake. I've been there before. I heard that last episode, and I've, I've actually sat in those leather chairs right by the racquetball court. Just <laughs> picturing you... Elvis there with a drink watching other people sweat. <laughs> that was the exact thought I had when I saw that couch. <laughs> With a handgun. <laughs> because there's a huge wet bar right there, too. It's like right. couches mm-hmm. and a nice wet bar. Yeah, and a handgun, of course. You, you know he never played racquetball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me introduce our guest. He's a man of many talents. He's an artist. He's a talented painter, a musician, a poet, and an incredible writer of prose. As a musician, he makes a hell of an argument that the bass should be considered a lead instrument. Doing so in his signature style, he's bailed me out of many a moment of melodic laziness. He was also once a clerk at Kansas City's renowned video store, RSO. Thus, Oh, sorry, SRO. (laughs) Thus, my comment on the bi-directional term rented, since he rented films from the store and rented films to the store's patrons. So please welcome Scott Lost. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Gentle applause. At least, at least Scott didn't clap for himself like Dave did. <laughs> so you said RSO, Chris, because you watched the uh, Bee Gees documentary, and that's Robert Stigwood's oh, organization. Yeah. That's right. And I didn't remember the name of the store. Both of those reasons. <laughs> the B, with the Bee Gees doc, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> Scott, welcome. How are you today? Thank you. I'm doing very well. Um, just got off work, so I'm fully prepared to talk with you guys. <laughs> Our film today is the 19... This is 93. I guess that's right. Brian De Palma drama, Carlito's Way, released 10 years after the eventually revered Scarface and just before he made Mission Impossible. So, Scott, do you have a, uh, a synopsis of the film Carlito's Way? Well, there's a lot that happens. It's kind of the uh, classic tale of the bad guy who wants to go good. Carlito... He was supposed to do 30 years, but his slimy lawyer got him out after five. He vows to go back on the street, uh, clean up his act. He's got a big plan, trying to escape out, off to paradise. Just like another Pacino film, he somehow gets sucked back in <laughs> to the world of crime. It's hard to avoid. There's a failed mobster jailbreak. There is a drug deal shootout. There is a lot of, as De Palma does, a lot of trains and a lot of dancing. <laughs> I don't want to give too much away, but there is a tragic ending, which is actually given away at the very start of the film. Uh, 
So that that's about it in a, in a tiny little nutshell. But it's uh, a bad guy who tries to go good, and it just doesn't work out for him. And I just have to say, it was just beautiful to me that $75,000 would be all you needed to completely <laughs> start your life over from scratch. <laughs> yeah, to buy into a car rental agency. Yeah, it you could buy a car rental agency for $75,000 in 1993, right? Yeah. 1975. Yeah, it's 75. That's true. Right? Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's true. Now yeah, that I think about it, true. I'm, yeah, with inflation, I, that's, yeah. That's I was big, struck big, by this movie by the frequency with which they use the word thou. It wasn't thousand. It wasn't grand. It was always thou. It was seventy-five thou. It was thirty thou. It just kept coming and coming. I think Luis Guzman said that. Luis Guzman, co-worker of a previous show guest Michael McMillan, they worked together on a uh, show that never made it to air. It was Luis Guzman's version of Sanford and Son, but instead of a junkyard, it was a, it was a donut shop, and Michael was the gringo who dated Luis Guzman's attractive daughter. <laughs> oh, never made, I want to see that show so bad. <laughs> you know, I was doing a little research on Luis Guzman, and he actually appeared in one episode of uh, the Kelsey Grammer show, Frasier. Hmm. Uh, Did he really? Yeah. <laughs> Just thought Perfect. I'd point that out. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe that. <laughs> was he ever on I'm The sp- Equalizer? Was he ever in The Equalizer? Yeah. I would assume young. he would. He's, a He's got the equalizer look. <laughs> a lot of actors from all the movies that we've seen have been on the show The Equalizer, including the lead actor from the first movie we covered was The Equalizer. What was that? The Wicker Man. Edward Woodward, is that his name? Edward Woodward yep. was the the lead in the Oh, okay. I was thinking Denzel. Yeah, so what Denzel, Denzel became the equalizer in the remake, of course. All right, fans. Already starting to set me off. <laughs> Rick's, a, Rick's not so high on remake. What, Denzel? He doesn't like Denzel either. Oh, no, <laughs> no I'm, I'm fine with Denzel if he sticks with original films and not remakes. Jim, did you say this film took place in 1975? I believe so. Yeah. That's what, yeah, like right at the beginning, I, I for, almost immediately forgot that. Yeah. Like within about 15 minutes in, I was like, oh, wait a minute, it's 1975. I was like totally, oh, this is 1993. And it's just like. Well, why did you think 1975? Why that particular year? Because that's when he got out, he said, right? Yeah, it, it starts right. Years. It says on the screen, I think it says 1975. It, I think. Yeah, he was oh, in jail for five years. He went away in 1970. I, th- I think he talks, they definitely set. I, I had 75 in my mind, too. I think it is on, yeah, it's like on the screen, which, which is, is 1975. It's definitely 75 because then I have nothing to complain about when the, in the, one of those dance scenes, Cheryl Lynn's Got to Be Real is playing, and that song came out in 1978. So I was really upset. Oh. Oh. I was waiting for all this, yeah, because I knew this was all going to come out. It was, like when it, it was like the music with Rick. When they were waiting to get away, like, so when he goes to his girlfriend and he's like, hold on, I got to go do something. And he leaves her in the cab and he gets out of the right. cab. The movie on the marquee is Shaft's Big Score. And that came out in 1972. Yeah. So this movie's yeah. all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But couldn't you yeah. tell by his, like, ankle length leather coat that it was somewhere between 1970 and 1980? <laughs> yeah, I knew it was the 70s. I just 
I just was wondering. They were make they were put a lot of references in the film. I was wondering if they all tied out, but I don't I don't think they do. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff on IMDb about that. I was like, yeah, the music. Other, you know, I I knew I thought about Rick once I. <laughs> I, I kind of half thought it was like 1975, and I was buying into it, you know, all the disco yeah. stuff. And then I yeah. looked online. I was like, oh, yeah. It's got all these songs are, yeah, 76, 77, 78, and it's already. It's going to set Rick people. off. <laughs> yeah, the disco thing, it was a little bit too early. And I was like, yeah, well, Rick's going to be all over this. Rick, does that ruin the whole movie for you when, when something like that occurs? It can. It definitely is something that I get obsessive about, and then my family tells me I can't talk about it anymore if we're watching a movie together. In fact, as we were watching WandaVision, my 11-year-old and I got into a heated argument about when an episode was taking place because I was saying, well, that's, that's the Petri's house, so it's got to be 1960, not 1955, and then nearly came to blows. <laughs> And actually, yeah, like uh, I remember you getting really mad about uh, Summer of Sam. Yeah. Which, with John, John Leguizamo's in that yeah. as well. But that, that has a lot of inconsistencies or weird. Yeah, like the Mohawk, that... like the crazy Mohawk in 1977, mm. which was completely inappropriate. But it is the best music video <laughs> for Baba O'Reilly. I almost rented it again just to watch that sequence. Of all those movies, it is definitely... I remember thinking, oh, you know, they captured the era pretty well from yeah. what I remember being seven or eight years old. and Yeah. But it was still kind of fake, but... Sort of like Wonder Woman 84, is that what? <laughs> yeah. The wow. parallel? Wonder Woman 84 did pretty good, I thought. They Actually, there was one guy wearing a Cro-Mags Age of Coral t-shirt. <laughs> I didn't see I that. I think that album came out about two years after that. Yeah. <laughs> So you do too, Scott. I did my research. <laughs> I, I was talking about, I think I talked about this in the earlier episode, seeing Motorhead at the uh, Aragon Ballroom at Halloween Horror 86, and I think the Cro-Mags opened for Ooh. Motorhead on that show. Nice. Of course they did. So, yeah, it was 86. It was two years after 1984. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Wonder Woman avoided any issues with dating by music by not using any 80s music in, in the movie. <laughs> They missed a huge opportunity to fill it full of... That's like I wanted to go back and watch Atomic Blonde after I watched Wonder Woman because I was like, Jesus, you missed. You could have put all this great music in the film, and they, they didn't. Oh, well. Cheapskates. So, Scott, you worked at SRO. You rented plenty of films. You've seen plenty of films. Pick a film from your video store days. And this is why, what you picked? Why this film? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it go, I wasn't working at SRO at the time. I was living down in Branson, Missouri. And um, actually living in a suburb of Branson, Missouri. And this trailer. was the only movie that was available at the, uh, at the <laughs> stop degree, and shop? To some degree, it was, yeah. At the, <laughs> at the <laughs> convenience store? It, other than the earnest films, the earnest uh, collection Which I, of films. Which I love, and I have the full DVD set of uh, Hey Vern, It's Ernest, the TV series. I'll admit Ernest that. goes to prison, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, uh, it was something that I sort of fixated on when I had nothing else going on in my life, and I was living in a trailer. So I think that says <laughs> a lot. <laughs> How many times have you seen this movie? I've probably seen it about six times. I just keep coming back to it. When I go on these De Palma jags, I keep floating back to this one. And this one in Blowout, I think, uh, 
or to the diplomat films that I really, I don't know, fixate on, gravitate towards when I, when I can stand De Palma. I think there's, there's, there's moments where he's like completely disgusting, I think, is one way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, good and word. Like just virulently anti-female. Um, <laughs> not that I approve of those things, but um, there are, De Palma for me is, is uh, I don't know, an easy one. A lot of tropes from his films were collected into this film. Oh, absolutely. You'll, you'll see, of course, the trains. Trains are everywhere. Blow out. Um, dressed to kill. Untouchables, right. And in The Fury, there's a scene where um, Amy, Amy someone, she blows a Lionel train off, uh, a toy train off a train track, which I, I, I can I put that under trains in the, the palm over. Um, and then there's also the 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 dancing dancing uh, you know you go from Scarface the disco scenes in Scarface which are very similar to the scenes in Carlito's way body double a lot of dancing even in Blowout there's dancing and typically the dancing in these films are by half clothed women for the most part so he's got a little bit of a problem <laughs> with with that it's either disco or half clothed women in front of in front of windows that he, he tends to use quite a bit, his tropes. Well, I noticed in Body Double and in Carlito's Way when there's a scene where the man runs up to the woman, she's topless, they start making out or making love, and they spin almost as if mm-hmm. they're on a turntable, and then the camera spins in the opposite direction. It was almost the, an identical scene. And then I started to know notice how much he plays with the camera rig and how much he moves right. the camera Steady rig. Cam. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I thought the opening to this film and the ending, which are the same, were gorgeous. It was interesting because I watched it on my phone. And then, you know, when he, I was trying to picture it in a theater landscape, you know, when he sort of is turning the camera sideways and upside down. I was actually turning my phone with the camera to kind of keep it right side up, but sometimes. Mm-hmm. I always thought De Palma was a, a big fan of Hitchcock, and I think the knock on him is he's a Hitchcock ripoff, that he steals a bunch right. of stuff from Hitchcock. I actually think he takes a bunch of Hitchcock things and pushes them forward. So Hitchcock used to always play with the camera. I always think about the scene of uh, in Psycho when the camera flies into the window of the building and it's this seamless cut and you know back in the day how did they do that you know it was a real building Mm -hmm. they come into the window and the couple's on the bed or janet lee is dead on the floor and the camera sort of spirals around her eye and that cuts to or fades to a scene of her blood going down the drain in in the shower and all that sort of camera rigging and spinning the camera and turning the camera upside down stuff i saw de palma taking it to the next step from hitchcock and then I realized, I used to always think Gaspar Noe was a very highly influenced Scorsese director, but Gaspar Noe, I think, is actually a De Palma-influenced director because Gaspar Noe totally does all that stuff with the camera rig, like spins it upside down. That whole opening to Carlito's Way and the end of Carlito's Way, if you watch Climax, which is the latest Gaspar Noe film, there's just some brilliant, and, and also Irreversible, there's some brilliant movement of the camera like that's right. what i love about gaspar no movies 
And then, but he's not ripping off Scorsese. He's ripping off De Palma. So I didn't even realize that. I have to go back now and watch all the Gaspar Noe films again to see how much he's influenced by De Palma because I actually, well, I think that's the real connection between those two. That was transfixed. I don't think I'd ever seen Carlito's Way, although I thought I had, but I think I just confused it with Scarface. And I thought it was incredibly shot. I've been watching a lot of Hitchcock stuff. Just watch Vertigo, and I, I, I don't, I, yeah, I think you're giving Brian but De Palma too much credit for pushing it that much farther. He's he just you know has the luxury of an R rating. You think Hitchcock was doing the same thing technically as De Palma with the camera rig? I I like his camera moves and everything like that, but I definitely he's Hitchcocking all over the place. <laughs> Body double is a great example of that. I mean, that's yeah, pure, yeah, yeah. Rear, rear, rear window. Rear window. Yeah, yeah. It's blatant. It's, but there's also, you know, yeah. the the bathroom scene. There, yeah, there's a <clears throat> above bathroom scene talking about spinning right. around. That's in Vertigo. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of Hitchcocky stuff going on. Um, but yeah, Scorsese is you know Hitchcock influence too. So, well, no, Hitchcock was technically probably the most advanced filmmaker. Well, certainly of his day, right? And and that just cascaded <clears throat> forward into all these. I mean, it kind of makes you admire Hitchcock more because you're wondering, well, how the hell did Hitchcock do it? If you're saying De Palma's camera moves, I thought were more sophisticated than Hitchcock's. Well, they but are, but I, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you're right. He's he's expanding it, but I, I think some of it's technical, and I th- always question Brian De Palma's originality. I don't know if I totally believe that he's a genius. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't think we were saying. I don't think we were saying it was a genius. <laughs> well, okay. So if somebody's like the heir apparent or is taking what Hitchcock did and expanding upon it, there would be some sort of vision. But I think he absorbed Hitchcock's vision, his tropes, and the the things with women and everything like that. You could say it. It is just a progression. It's just like he took the Hitchcock template and expanded it out into the seventies and eighties and 90s. He didn't have his own vision. Hitchcock used a knife on a woman in a shower, whereas De Palma used a chainsaw on a, on a man or, in a shower. Or, or well, a power and, drill. And so the problem is, is yeah, this drill. movie, not so much, not so much, but other ones of his movies, like you said, Body Double, and, and yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's, just it, it's more obvious that he is, he's directly ripping off people. And so in the movies where it's not as obvious who he's ripping off, like, like he hasn't stolen the story, you know, and, and, and modified it. I love Blowout, but again, it's blow up. So then how would you grade this film? Because this film had um, influences. You could argue this film was more influenced than it was derogatory, right? That's kind of why I liked it. I, I thought that it was well-crafted and an original story, except maybe it borrowed a little bit from his own work. It borrowed a little bit from Scarface. Yeah, that's, that's what I noticed. I mean, I think I liked it, this better than Scarface. I definitely... Yeah, I definitely never liked his movies that much, but <laughs> this one, this one's okay. But I, yeah, I like it better than Scarface just because he's a nicer, he's a likable. It's like a sure. Scarface with the heart of gold. He's like a right. nicer Scarface. He's got he's the drug kingpin, but he's not cr- completely out of his mind, and he's got some, he's got a moral compass, you know, and. <laughs> And it's the same actor, of course, same director, so obviously the parallels. Yeah, I, li- I love Val Pacino in some some things, but most things he does. And this one especially, I definitely, that's the whole point of this movie. Like, I loved what, why I enjoyed watching it was for Al Pacino. But mm-hmm. if he wasn't in it, I don't think I could stand it. And I don't know about <laughs> his accent. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think he slipped but, in sort of a Cajun accent. Yeah. <laughs> 
he's 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 a bit like Scarface. I didn't want you know. It's like, but he's nicer, and yeah, I could under I, I can sympathize with this character. Yeah, he's a sympathetic so Scarface. That's that's why it was better. I definitely liked it better than that. I think it this distills my problem with Brian De Palma, but it actually is is a problem with Hitchcock too. It's like when Hitchcock would do stories that weren't in his wheelhouse. They're visually amazing, like The Trouble with Harry is like astoundingly beautiful. I watched that a while ago, but it's just like, and there are little bits and pieces that are marvelous about it, but the whole movie is just, it, something doesn't work. I kind of feel what this film did for me is it distilled, yeah, I, I love the set pieces, the ending, the whole ending sequence, you know, that there's a... <laughs> Again, before the carnage happened, I had my younger son watching it. We, we basically rewound and watched how long that's, that take is on the escalators, oh, right. you know, going around. And it's really long, and it's really, really amazing. All of that is amazing. The part where they're circling around. So the circling around the table, <laughs> and then you see the, the, mm-hmm. the club, and they're talking about Tommy T. What was the name of the guy who got killed? Tom, yeah, Tommy T. Uh, and it. then I, I never even realized the boat theme of the, the club until then. You start seeing the life preservers and all of that. Yeah, and it's and just the, like, this is... Portholes. Yeah, this is amazing. You know, those moments are truly amazing. But then <clears throat> the other stuff in it, it's like when, when those things aren't going on, like when it's just like people stuff, you know, and character stuff, I feel like it leaves me wanting. I think he is a great filmmaker in terms of the technical process and creating those really amazing moments. And he's obviously a student of film. That's the positive about it is he was, it was kind of like a Hitchcock gangster movie. Jim made a great point. I like this film a lot more than Scarface because the fatal flaw of this character was that he was a good and loyal person. Like, he didn't cheat on his girlfriend. His drug habit, it wasn't his Achilles heel. He was always turning down drugs, I think, in it. He was trying to be really good to the woman that he loved. He was loyal to his friends, and it was his loyalty to Sean Penn that was essentially his flaw. So it was him trying to be a good person to a person who got him out of jail was his flaw. So, like, I like that more than just, like, he just can't stop doing coke and now he's shooting a, a, a <laughs> missile out of his machine gun at a bunch of DEA yeah. Screaming. There yeah. wasn't a lot of screaming. Yeah, I got to watch that again. Kansas City. Food-wise, a city famous for its barbecue. But that's about to change. My name is W. Dave Keith, host of the podcast Taco the Town, and I believe that Kansas City is one of the most underrated, underappreciated, up-and-coming taco towns in the USA. On Taco the Town, we will shine a light on all the amazing tacos Kansas City has to offer. Kansas City is a great taco town filled with a variety of untapped taco stylings and flavors, and on the Taco the Town podcast, we won't stop until we've tasted every taco in the town. No taco table will go unturned. Each episode, we review a new taco joint with a special guest. We share taco memories, discuss taco topics, and put tacos to the test. We check the latest stories in taco news, and no taco is off the table on Taco the Town. If you love tacos, like I do, you're gonna love Taco the Town. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and Google Play. That's Taco the Town.
What do you think about the idea that this is the Puerto Rican Falcon and the Snowman, Scott? <laughs> do you think that that <laughs> I love, oh yeah, I didn't write a note about Falcon and the Snowman, but I should have, yeah. I'm glad you brought it up. Right, is it the Sean Penn connection? He's essentially the exact same yeah. character, right? Just a scumbag yeah. who does a lot of drugs and can't help but get him in trouble. Instead of a mustache and a weird full-sized wig, it's no mustache and a bald wig. And the bald wig. I guess he shaved... Yeah part of his the front of his hair for this he had to um, yeah it, it wasn't he just he just peeled it back a little bit and they, they dabbed on some hair some sprinkles that's what i've been doing i've been kind of you might notice i've been shaving up around my widow's peak here to try and get my widow's peak look going you know i always thought bruce willis had a cool haircut until somebody told me it was male pattern baldness <laughs> i like the way it kind of shot back yeah. yeah. Bruno. Sorry, Bruno. <laughs> yeah, let's call him by his <laughs> musical name. <laughs> I heard a quote. It's the, uh, what is it, the 25th anniversary, 30th anniversary of 12 Monkeys? And one of the quotes from it was, like, he was a little worried about having Bruce Willis be the main character because he couldn't get past the fact that Bruce Willis's mouth looked like an anus. <laughs> <laughs> And now I can't. And it, he was more talking about the way he holds his face, too, the Bruce Willis. But but it's like I can't get that picture out of my mind now. Sean Penn, I thought, was great in this movie. To your point, Rick, if a film has a series of delightful moments in it that I just really think are exceptional, I think it's a good movie. And whereas yeah. you, I think, look more for the complete picture. And that's how you would judge a good film. And, Scott, you had made the comment to me. You had said, Penelope Ann Miller is sort of maddening because... There are scenes where she's fantastic, and then scenes where she, her performance is weak or dead. And I, I saw, I think some of the worst moments of this film, or the, I'd say the, the down moments in this film, are where they're doing that sort of couple thing, and the, the acting is just not up to snuff. It's just not as balanced. I mean, he's sort of acting his brains out, and she's like sometimes good, sometimes not so good. And I, what kind of stuck out with me with her is that there are two instances in which she asks Carlito if he's killed somebody. And almost immediately she takes it back like, oh, I'm sorry I asked that. It was, it was just like this really sort of false moment, false start. And, and she just completely retracts her question. The second time Carlito actually gives some sort of eloquent explanation of what it's like to actually trying to survive on the streets. But... Yeah, I think you're you're accurate in that she was either completely there, like at the very end when he was dying, you know, tears streaming off her face, or she was just sort of vacant. Yeah, it's the subtle moments I think she struggles with or struggled with. Right. Film. But that could be an editing problem. That could be a directing problem. There were more moments with Al Pacino where I giggled than <laughs> Nelby Ann Miller. But that's that comes with the territory. I mean, sometimes it's just yeah. like, like in Heat, it's just like, oh, here we go. I love that. But then in this movie, there were some moments where it, it didn't quite work. <laughs> what made me really laugh was there are two instances where they show him sitting on a couch and he doesn't sit upright on the couch. He just slumps back <laughs> so on the slump. couch. Like the two times he's sitting on a couch, it's like he doesn't know how to sit on a couch. It's completely I, laid back. And I feel like that was one of the moments where he was doing the halting talk and it just got right. so intense. Where his he, his pauses were almost like he was he was trying to fuck with someone, like he's like I dare you to keep the pauses. 
in is that is that all you got speech you know it's like he's he's like trying to push as far as possible see how far he can push it he wasn't full-on like devil's advocate al pacino this is like in his transition from like the guy who doesn't say anything in the godfather films to the devil's advocate where he's just like completely over the top he did a he did son of a woman right before this Oh, Sin of a Woman, right. Yeah, that's where he was full-blown. So he dialed it back oh, yeah. a little bit for this film. I guess. <laughs> a little bit. You know, it's actually funny. I, I, I saw this, the, you know, the opening scene where he does this big sort of elaborate speech about how he's reformed. The DA, the guy who played the DA in that film, also played the headmaster in Sin of a Woman. And there's a very similar scene at the end of Sin of a Woman where Pacino gets up and gives this big impassioned stirring speech about how his, you know, his assistant, Charlie, is, you know, just this wonderful kid, but he's directing it at the guy who played the DA, just like he directed it in Carlito's way. I think it's Robert Rehorn or something like that is the, is the character actor. He's in, uh, I think he's the guy in the game. He's really great in, right. have you ever seen the game, where he's, mm-hmm. I think he's a cop, right? And then all of a sudden he's an actor. It's, it's really amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love him. I need to see the game. That's uh, Fincher, right? Yeah, and it's yeah. Uh, what's her name is in it. The uh, woman who just died a while ago, who was the voiceover in uh, Days of Heaven. She shows up like oh. out of nowhere. She's like in a in a house and like has one line. Like thirty thirty years after, she's the Days little of Heaven. The, the little girl. girl. Yeah, the girl. <laughs> yeah, it's just like oh my god. Who says she's like we used to go around and do stuff. And that's like the <laughs> exactly like days of heaven. Best, like, yeah, best narration ever. Around. I watched that again a, a while ago. <laughs> Amazing. She made that movie. Scott, you brought up Rick Aviles was in this film. He's also in Mystery Train, also on right. The Equalizer. One of my um, favorite scenes in with Rick Aviles in, in Carlito's Way is when Carlito's cousin is trying to jog Rick Aviles' memory about what a badass Carlito is. And he's like, you remember Carlito? Carlito, he's a legend. Enrique Viles, he's just sort of frozen, staring at the camera. Then he breaks. He's like, oh, Carlito. This is very determined. Oh, it's like a comedic timing. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, that's, yeah, like we were just talking about what we just saw, Mystery Train, whatever, a week or two ago. And yeah, he's such a high point of that movie when they're completely drunk and him just talking about Lost in Space. And he's he's so <laughs> funny. Yeah, he's Got great timing. How about Vigo Mortensen, Mortensen's role in this? Did everybody appreciate <laughs> that? That's crazy. Yeah, he he had it together, right? When he showed up, I was like, I bought it, you know? And then by mm-hmm. the end of his scene, it was like, he kind of lo- lost it for me. It was like he lost, <laughs> it was like he was hanging on by the fingernails. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, it's, it's, it's just Vigo Mortensen. It's like, but it, right when he started, that scene started, it was like, oh, he's pulling this off. I was really into it. And then, then I, he lost me. I don't know what it you was. Know, I thought it was great right before that scene. Um, they're doing the voiceover from Carlito about uh, about Leilene sort of giving him some background. And then he said, Leilene is a real stand-up guy. And then they pan right to Leilene sitting in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. Looking pathetic. <laughs> nice transition. Was he supposed to be Puerto Rican too, Vigo Mortensen? Yeah, I think yeah. so. It's yeah. just like anybody with an extended monologue can't be played by a by a Puerto Rican. You, know, you gotta, <laughs> gotta hire a yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Non-Puerto Rican actor. I looked to see if there was some 
Latin background in Al Pacino at all. And no, both of his parents clearly Italian. So he's played Cuban, he's played Puerto Rican, he's played Italian, probably played Jewish, I'm sure at some point most Italians have. My aunt actually thought Rose was Italian. Yeah. So strange. <laughs> My aunt's Italian. When, when you all signed your contract, it said Roseanne on it, right? Uh, Roseanne yeah. is her full name. And yeah. I reacted to that, I'm like, Roseanne? And you both looked at me like, yeah, it's Roseanne. And I was like, oh. And it was because most Italian roses are just Rose. I mean, I was like, yeah, they're right, not, exactly. it's not short for Roseanne. It's just Rose. Yeah. yeah. Including my daughter. Her middle name is Rose, not Roseanne. So, Yeah. Just like about casting and stuff. I've, John Leguizamo, it's like makes me feel sad for him. Just like he's... He's always such a creep in movies, and he, he has he hasn't always been. You know, has he always? Been, he hasn't. It's just like every time I see him, it's like he must. I, I wonder how he feels about that. I, I know he's done other stuff, but it's just like, oh, he's got to be. What what other movies he was in? He was always he's executive decision. He's fantastic in executive decision. <laughs> Summer of Sam. We were talking. I was talking about. Yeah, too. it's like he's he does. Kind of so the thing is, is he does his own thing, right? He'd do his sort of one-man show things and he that's how he uh, basically deals with it right is that if he yeah. can't if hollywood won't let him play anything but a creepy puerto rican guy then he basically has to say well there's more to me than this and then he has to do these one-man sort of broadway performances uh, i think is is his way of dealing with it yeah. but yeah what yeah he hasn't been has he been in anything lately I don't know. yeah oh yeah I'm just looking up yeah lots of stuff i but no executive decision he plays the hero him and uh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Ken yeah, Russell guys, is the director. If you guys haven't Russell. seen, if you guys haven't seen Executive Decision, it's a great um, action film, and John Leguizamo really holds his own, and he's fantastic. I actually think Halle Berry's in that movie too. He does a lot of voiceover stuff too. Cartoon. John Leguizamo looks like he does a lot of animation. He was in an episode of The Mandalorian, so I'll have to go back and find that. Oh, yeah. Ice Age. He's in Ice Age. Oh yeah, Ice Age. That's yeah. That's his. That's his, been his big paycheck. Forgot about that. Dora the Explorer. I saw that. It was okay with my five-year-old. It's supposed to be a good film. The the live action. It's supposed to be good. I think all films are supposed to be good, but something goes wrong. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't think all films are supposed. Oh, to be. and I, I wanted to say, you know, going back to my judgments and everything like that, is I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I enjoyed watching it. It's just that at some point I have to take a step back and I have to go: Was this movie 100% successful? Does it get the Rick Rewound seal of approval? <laughs> so there's a difference between I can watch a movie and I can enjoy it and I can enjoy parts of it, but then I've got to give it that final stamp of approval. So I did. I I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed all the acting, even when it was a little too much, and I enjoyed the uh, the camera work. Well, let's go into it. Let's let's it, you know. Let's, so let's, that's that's let's what break, I would say to Brian De Palma and ask the if question. Brian De Palma. This is I totally just did the thing that you know. It's like if I was friends with Brian De Palma and I had just watched that movie in 1993, and he said, "What did you think?" and I would say, <laughs> "I loved every minute. I loved the acting. I loved the camera movements." And then I wouldn't say that I wouldn't say to my friend Brian, but it doesn't hold together, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> There's just something, just something off about it. You so I'd say, say something like, "It looks like you had a really good time making that film." <laughs> <laughs> There's this guitarist musician 
in this band. Uh, well, I, uh, I just I, I had recorded uh, some stuff with him once, but he he worked as uh, you know as as uh, worked maintenance on buses and everything like that. And then people from work would find out he was in a band, and then he they'd say, "I want to see you play." And, then, and it was a weird band, right? And then the next day, he said it was inevitable. They would always come back, and they'd have this weird smile on their face, and they'd <laughs> say, that was fun. And, and he hated that. He was just like, I know, I know you don't want to. I knew that you would not like this music and not understand it, but you forced me to invite you to it. And then it's just that word fun. It was just like, that's the kind of thing people say to you when they, they want to make you feel good, but they just absolutely do not understand what you do as a creative person. Yeah, but I think there's something different between between what you said and it looks like you were having fun making that movie. You were I'll take the hey, that was really well executed. I enjoyed all the acting. I enjoyed every minute of it. I mean, it's hard to make a whole movie come together 100%. I mean, in fact, according to Rick, nobody's done it. But but, but. <laughs> whoa. I you know, I watched Vertigo it's pretty good. I still, I think I, I have to watch Rear Window again. I, it's true. I, I can find, I can complain about everything, I guess. I could find something wrong with Vertigo. What's a perfect film, right? What would get What's the, a perfect film? The Rick Rewound 100% film. See, that's not fair. I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could say a film is perfect. I mean, you can. So then I think you're giving this film high praise. And I, um, just because I said no film is perfect doesn't mean that an imperfect film is great. <laughs> you know, I watched Kohanaskazi last night. That's a great movie. I really like that movie. I haven't seen it. You what haven't seen Kohanaskazi? No. It's Unfortunately, fun. It's fun. Not a, <laughs> it's, fun. <laughs> it's, fun. <laughs> it's fun. You should check it out. Fun. Unfortunately, they need to do a like they need to do a new restoration for 4K because it's a little crunchy looking now, but <laughs> um, it's still pretty amazing. I thought you were going to say a remake. <laughs> well, they've been like him. The the Godfrey Reggio has been remaking mm -hmm. it, and then the cinematographer, what's his name, Frick, something like that, has been remaking it too. It's like if you look at everybody who worked on the first film, they've the the two guys, two main guys, have both made three it's or like four Powell, films. Powell Scotzi or something. Powell Scotzi. Yeah. And then the the cinematographer on Koana Scotsy went off and made Samsara and what's the other one Baraka. So they they it's right. almost like a everybody who worked on Koana Scotsy wound up making films that are the same as Koana Scotsy. Scott Rick previously noted that Summer of Sam <coughs> included the the best music video for Bob O'Reilly. Do you think that? Carlitos Way is that has it contains the best music video for You Are So Beautiful. <laughs> the end. The end dancing no. in the paradise poster. Oh, is that is that yeah, I forget where it plays. Yeah. Well it plays twice. twice. Yeah, it, it plays, plays twice. Yeah. yeah, it plays during the the uh the sweet love scene. And then at the very end when he's when he's fading, he sees her <laughs> dancing in the poster. Which anytime I see somebody dancing like that. There's a problem. <laughs> like it, that over-emotive solo dancing without it being on stage in front of an audience is there's something um, problematic with that. So I don't think it was a very good video for You Are So Beautiful. <laughs> what I did like about the use of that movie or that song during the, the love scene was that um, 
He opens that scene by coming to her door saying that he brought her a cheesecake. <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. And right as they're sort of engaging, she asks where the cheesecake is. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing the spinning makeout thing like they did in Body Double, and she whispers to him, where's the cheesecake? While You Are So Beautiful is playing over the top of it. So at the same time where they're having this sentimental moment, there's a little bit of a little bit of nod to silliness. Yeah, that was great. And would you say that um, the song You Are So Beautiful by Joe Cocker or the song Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood is a better soundtrack for a topless woman making out with a guy spinning around? <laughs> that's a, that's what a movie I what so Is that in Body Double? I yeah. can't remember. Yeah, it's the exact yeah, same scene, that. just a different song. And a different woman and a different man, I guess. Whatever happened to the actor who looked like, uh, um, who's the comedian? Bill Maher? Would, Bill Maher, the actor. Was it Craig Wasson? I think that Craig was. Craig Wasson. Very <laughs> good, man. At the end of his career. Yeah. He played. But he was, uh, I thought he was really well cast for that movie because he just, he was so sort of fumbling and had this sort of nondescript nature about him. And he seemed so pathetic that he could be exploited the way he was. I thought it was a good cast. Yeah, definitely a better choice than Bill Maher. <laughs> Anything that's a better choice than Bill Maher. Uh, the screenwriter of this film did Spider-Man, Jurassic Park, Mission Impossible, The War of the Worlds, The Mummy, The Crystal Skull, Indiana Jones film, the next upcoming Indiana Jones film, and Bride of Frankenstein. So he's got a real spotty... There's He directed a movie that I like that I don't think anybody else likes with uh, Ricky Gervais, David Kep, right? Yep. I'll Ghost Town. It. Ricky Gervais is a dentist who hates people, and then Greg Kinnear is, is a dead person that starts talking to him, and then he's, it's, it's kind of like a, uh, almost like a Frank Capra kind of movie. <laughs> I was going to say, It's a Wonderful Life or something. Yeah, it's weird, it's, and it's something else too. What's, what's the movie with the dead people? Like the 30s. Sixth Sense? True bulk. No. <laughs> the, don't ruin it. Oh, the ghost. Spoiler yeah, alert. The, ghosts. The, the couple. They're yeah. ghosts. Yeah, it's like that. Oh. Yeah, the couple who are dead. Yeah. Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. <laughs> Beetlejuice is, you know, it's kind of an upgrade of that movie, too. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Did you know that the, <laughs> that the surprise ending is that the arguing couple are dead? They're just ghosts? <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> so Stephen H. Brum shot this film. He worked a lot with the Palma. He also shot The Outsiders and Rumblefish for Coppola. Yeah, I, I looked him up. I, he obviously, so with Rumblefish, right, you have the Goldfish, black and white movie, but then the Goldfish, and so that's his thing is like he's able to do a black and white shot with color in it because that happened at the beginning of the film too. Oh, that's right, yeah. He also shot Work and Mindy... He shot a Bee Gees TV special, and he shot Land of the Lost, one of my favorite TV shows. So he's an accomplished cinematographer. He knew how to get the Slee Stacks skin looking just right in Land of the Lost. <laughs> he did the crystal panel in the Slee Stack cave. That always scared the shit out of me. $37 million box office on a $30 million budget. Scarface was a $65 million box office. Uh, I don't know what its budget was. So in 1993, if you made $7 million on a film, I think that's good, right? 
Is that enough for you to escape out of filmmaking and just go and <laughs> go open a island. car dealership or a used car? Yeah, what was it? A <laughs> car rental agency? Yeah. It's yeah. seven seven thou, seventy five thou. If I could just make seventy five thou, I can I can get out of having to make these movies. This Hollywood racket. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being exceptionally mean to Brian De Palma. I watched that whole documentary, which is just him going movie by movie. I love that documentary of him talking. Wow. Have you seen that? No, I don't. I think it's called yeah, it's called De Palma. I think it's it's kind of like Hitchcock, Truffaut, right? The book. It's, it's somebody talking to Brian De Palma, and they just start with his first movie, and they go all the way through, mm-hmm. and he talks about each one, like Phantom Phantom of the Paradise. Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah, that's that's that's. I have to watch that again because I have yeah. a feeling that's probably my favorite Brian De Palma movie. Yeah, I've got it on my it's, list. I've it's been a long time since I saw that. I want to watch Sisters, too. Sisters is supposed to be really good. Sisters are good. I've never watched Obsession, but I remember reading the Sobsession, which was the version in um, Mad Magazine. It's one of the few Mad Magazine movies that I haven't seen later on. So when I was a kid, the way I was able to watch movies I wasn't allowed to watch was to read Mad Magazine. and I'd, So I have a general idea about what Obsession is about, but I need to actually watch it for real because my in my mind... It's a little goofier. You could get a good idea of, of the general plot and characters of the film. Like Barry Lyndon. I knew, I knew what Barry Lyndon was about when I was 10. <laughs> <laughs> My parents wouldn't take me to it. That's, I wanted to see Barry Lyndon, and they said, I don't, I don't think that's appropriate for you. That's the most surprising thing you've said this whole <laughs> uh, podcast, because your parents would mostly take you to everything. Not an R-rated movie, you know, that's three hours long when I'm 10. They just didn't want to watch a film shot by candlelight. They're like, that's got to be terrible. It's got to be awful. <laughs> Tell them it's R-rated. <laughs> Scott, you watched a bunch of other De Palma films. What do you think about De Palma? I like De Palma. I'm going to go on record by saying I like this movie. I like Brian De Palma. Just a, a quick aside. I was thinking about this in The Fury there is a scene where a like a roller coaster, a tilter whirl goes off the tracks. That was at Old Chicago. Yeah, I don't know if you oh, yeah. knew that. Totally oh, no. amazing. I, yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, it just I, occurred so to me. I enjoyed the Fury so much more just because of seeing Chicago in 1979, and on top of it, that apartment flop house that um, Kirk Douglas stays in in that movie is the exact same place that's in the Blues Brothers. So, oh really? It's like, yeah. So you watch watch those scenes, those exteriors around there, and everything like that, and then watch the Blues Brothers, and you can see. And so it's almost like you can see the difference between the 1970s and sort of the beginning of the 1980s in terms of like cinematography and filmmaking. Blues Brothers still feels a little 70s, but it, it's not as golden. The Fury, to me, just feels so, like my memory of it is, is, is like gauzy and golden, right? right? So to see Chicago like that, and then to see the Chicago that's in the Blues Brothers, it's really amazing. And that's before Carrie Fisher blew up that building with a <laughs> rocket. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Is the, Scott, was the Fury the one that was shot, I thought you guys described the Fury as a film that was shot like during the riots or something. So they shot a fictional film around an actual historical event. Is that no, that's, what the Fury is? I was talking or, about that. That's medium cool. Oh. That's from 1968. That's uh, Haskell Wexler, where he, they shot. It's a fictional movie. Yeah, about kind of, well, some journalists and stuff. And yeah, he shot stuff 
in uh, Grant Park, just kind of around during the riots and just when it started taking off. Yeah, the Democratic National Convention and all that stuff. It was and Robert Forster's in it, you know, who yeah. oh, kind of yeah. disappeared after that. And then what's her name? Vera. Oh, who's the woman in that is also at the end of uh, After Hours. Oh. Um, is the artist like those actors like disappeared for like 30 years and then would reappeared. It was amazing. And like uh, definitely like only got jobs because people liked medium cool. Right. And but also well, one of the main, able to hire. main guys is uh, Peter Boners. Oh, that's whatever, right. The Jerry, the dentist from the Bob Newhart show. <laughs> I don't know if he's the camera <laughs> cameraman or yeah, he's, I think he's, he's one the of the main man. characters in the movie. Yeah. I think he's yeah, a cameraman. Totally straight acting role yeah. not not goofy jerry at all nice <laughs> not goofy jerry the dentist and peter bonner's he he directed he directed tons of stuff right he's yeah. like a big time like so like every i think well definitely tv comedy, like he directed yeah, Bob comedy Hart TV show episodes yeah. i think and and then yeah right. i think if you look at his career it's it's basically like every number one television comedy show he directed <laughs> episodes of we ask our guests who come on to tell us what they've been watching for a certain period of time. Some some will say, this is, Michael said, this is what I watched over the summer. Dave said, this is what I watched during what we call the global event, because we like to keep things timeless local. on this show. Try to keep them local. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what, what have you been watching in, within a certain period of time? How would you characterize the time frame? I think the time frame would be the latest virus surge <laughs> over the past over the past month, two months, rapid increase in cases and hospitalizations and all that. So I think it's becoming a little more afraid of death. What I've been watching was I watched all of the uh, well, the main three Ross McElwee movies: Sherman's March, Time Indefinite, and Bright Leaves, Dawson City. So yeah, I, just, it's I watched that over a few weeks. Well, I talked about it on one of our early, other episodes yeah. a Jim month or two it. ago. Yeah. That was oh, great. you did? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, I've watched it twice. So I watched it and then immediately rewound. My mom turned me on to that. <laughs> but I, I was watching all the Ross McElwee films. They're all on YouTube. So I kind of worked through that, that whole series. It's capturing my, my fear of impending death. He definitely was ahead of his time in terms of capturing that feeling of impending doom <laughs> <laughs> through but, a documentary process. But yeah, personal too. Amazing mm-hmm. films. There's some really just genuinely funny sequences in, in those films that I kind of gravitate towards back when I'm, when I'm sifting through and I'm fast-forwarding through. I usually land on those. And there's some brilliant characters that he's able to kind of get the best out of just by sticking a camera in their face. Which that's that's always the thing about his films that when you zoom out a little bit, you realize that this guy is holding a camera incessantly, nonstop, all the time, filming absolutely everything. And the responses you get from people are very genuine, even though he's sticking a camera in their face and bugging them. He gets these very heartfelt, clean and honest perspectives of these people. I just had a moment in my mind. I remembered like a day or two ago, a guy, it's like an African-American guy talking on camera. And then somebody asks, and what happened to your wife? And he says, she passed away. And it's the most devastating thing. And I just realized that's in Sherman's March, right? Right, when right. He's talking, he's talking to his, his friend who's working that, in his car. 
and I could not for the life of me remember. Yeah, yeah, his daughter. Yeah, and it's just like one of the most human moments I think I've ever seen on film. Also, I mean, people tell him he's cruel. And oh, so yeah. that's also part of it where it's like seeing that moment of vulnerability and on film and the fact that he's capturing it, it's amazing. But it's also, like you said, <laughs> you step back and then you go, oh, wow, this is problematic too. But I, I think he embraces it, though. No, he acknowledges. Yeah. He acknowledges how he sort of imposes himself on other people. I've also been watching like a lot of cult documentaries too. I watched all the the Nexium cult documentaries. Oh, yeah. yeah. The one on HBO and Stars and then the Heaven's Gate documentary that was on HBO Max, which was fun. I've got to watch that one. You know, you know I was thinking about the camera in the face thing and how he normalizes that, you know, basically if you do it enough, that just becomes his face, right? Like it's like his all of his it's like it's like as if every time you were to have a conversation with your friends you were all doing it in front of microphones can you imagine <laughs> how awkward that might be the heaven's gate was was that good i liked it i learned a lot Let's just put it there. i learned how to be a successful cult leader <laughs> so you had a good feeling at the end it, it really... i did i need to work on my charisma i think that's that's what i learned and not blinking not like blinking yeah, I need, I need, a, you? you know, the thing was both that and the Nexium cults, they both had their charismatic leader, but they also had their sort of unique names. Vanguard and Nexium was the Keith, uh, I can't remember his name, Keith something. And then um, Marshall Applewhite in Evans Gate, he was referred to as Doe. Yeah. Uh, there was Doe, and I think it was Ray who was his, his <laughs> um, accomplice. First thing to do when you're starting a cult is give yourself sort of a, uh, a really peculiar, interesting name. <laughs> I actually watched Blowout twice just because I was so enamored with it after watching it the first time. Travolta is great in that movie. He is I really good. He was absolutely fantastic. And Nancy Allen, you know, she does Nancy Allen really well. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't Jim... know she was married to De Palma. For oh, a while. wow. Oh, that's right. One of his four wives, three wives, the first. I, I have a vivid memory of the next door neighbors. At some picnic, they had just seen Blowout, and Mr. Sullivan said, that was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> that, was, that was my first introduction to Blowout. He no. really, really did not like the movie. I don't remember. It's probably movie. Dennis Franz's best movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, man, Dennis Franz. He's still alive, right? That's the thing. It's like, I just saw something more recent with Dennis Franz, and I think, or maybe he just died, but what happened to him? Like, I, and yeah. I remember looking it up, and it was like, he's still alive. Yeah, he's still alive. Maybe he just... Yeah, he made a seventy-five thousand. Can cut out. He cut out. Renting cars in paradise. He he was fantastic in Blowout. There's this great scene where he's kind of talking Nancy Allen into going along with their little plot to to make money off his photographs. And he's just he's drinking a bottle of JB Scotch and he's got this white T-shirt on that just got stains all over the front of it. <laughs> and there's this and he's talking to her at this one piece and he just walks into the bathroom and just starts peeing. <laughs> just He's sticking his head around the corner of the, of the door, just kind of talking to her. And he comes and zips up, doesn't wash his hands or anything, and immediately goes and grabs her face. And I'm watching this whole time. I'm like, oh, my God, that's, that's, that's disgusting. But it was perfect for the scene because he was such like this this animal. Yeah, he was the best of that type, right? You had the guy who played Pauly in the Rocky films was sort of a Dennis Franz type, and then you got Danny DeVito. You could argue was sort of a Dennis Franz type, and I think Dennis Franz did it best. Yeah, Dennis Franz was in Body Double, Scarface, Dressed to Kill. 
Same with John Lithgow. John Lithgow pops up in a lot of De Palma films. There's something about John Lithgow where, like, some stuff I just can't even watch him. <laughs> like, uh, Third Rock from the Sun, I could never watch that TV show. I just couldn't handle it. Yeah, I never saw that. That was the yeah. only reason you couldn't watch it? Yeah. <laughs> other than that, I was completely on board. <laughs> Anything else you were watching, Scott, during The Surge? We'll call it The Surge. The Surge. The Surge. <laughs> no, not really. I mean, just kind of rewinding Ross McElwee films and watching them over and over again and... And wishing I'd made some different decisions in my life. <laughs> so, Carlito's Way, 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. It had a prequel, Carlito's Way, Rise to Power. Uh, it was not well regarded. It got a 33% on Rotten Tomatoes. The, the cocaine party at Sean Penn's uh, summer home. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was The gross. opening of that scene where everyone is just going batshit, just doing lines <laughs> and getting pushed in the pool and these sort of ecstatic dancing and people getting it on and chase lounge out in the yard yeah that was well done yeah with them some of them are kind of beautiful but mostly it's just yeah it's like it's ugly it's very <laughs> it's very ugly but yeah. parts of it is are too flashy but right when the start it's just like middle-aged business guys and it looks a little too nice then it becomes it's yeah. like oh this big party one moment where sean penn's talking and it cuts to him and, and the lighting is absolutely beautiful but then it goes back there was a <laughs> Uh, like where it was obvious they were shooting out on that beach all day and the, there's one really beautiful shot but it, it's not appropriate for the the glare of the cocaine party <laughs> outside like daytime too yeah right that it's actually really great if you think about it because those parties are usually you know i think in terms of like boogie nights or something it's always like inside right. it's dark a, a, yeah dark nighttime you know harsh like uh, lighting and everything like that, but having it as outside kind of stuff, it was really neat. I like how Sean Penn was so pissed off during that scene. I think at one point there, there's a woman on top of a man in the yard and she, he screams at her that people are eating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then he turns to Carlito and he's like, people, huh? <laughs> yeah, he you're gets over it pretty quick. Giant cocaine party in your yard, and you're complaining yeah. that people are not being appropriate with their affection. People. He was he was a bad person, Sean Penn, in this film. I, he he was stole, terrible. He stole that million dollars. Clearly, I like Carlito. I don't I don't know why he liked Sean Penn. Um, How do you feel about his treatment of Italians in this film? I think he used the term spaghetti dick in what. <laughs> One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is that is that a common insult? I've never heard that one before. I've never heard that either. No one's called me a spaghetti dick. To your face. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's more of an issue with an Italian playing a Puerto Rican when yeah. you could have got a Puerto Rican to play a Puerto Rican. That was probably the thing I was concerned about. This film won two awards. It won Best Film by Cahiers du Cinema, which is a French film magazine. Talk about not being worldly. I don't know how to pronounce that. And then also it won Best Male Dubbing from the Italian National Syndicate of Film Journalists. Well, that's that's quite a compliment because you know that up until, you know, recently, I think Italian films were shot without sound and they were always dubbed. Yeah. So didn't matter. they never yeah, shot like sound. It, like set. all the spaghetti westerns, you know, just it wasn't just because they're not speaking the same language or, you know, English. Yeah, it's like even Italian movies shown in Italy are all overdubbed. That was standard. So dubbing, yeah, that's a, that's quite a compliment. Yeah. Oh, if so they the knew, dubbing is, yeah, they know is great. They know what they're doing with the dubbing. <laughs> um, I spent some time trying to, trying to burn into my mind the proper way to say Cahe du Cinema, but I think I, I forgot again. How do you say Cahe, it? It's Cahe. Cahe, yeah. 
I got it. I got I to ask my to kids. Remember that best film. So the French loved it. Yeah, they they, they don't know what they're they, talking. About. They love their their fake Hitchcocks. <laughs> Should this film be lost, Scott? I'm assuming no, right? Since you since you picked it. Oh, I don't think so. I think it it has its place. I think it's a a good follow up to Scarface. I think it's a good depiction of the De Palma world. He includes all of his tropes. Steady cam use is off the charts. I think it's I think it's fine. I would hang on to it. I'm not losing this movie at all. Is this the best De Palma film in your mind? No. Mm-mm. Is it your favorite no. De Palma film? It's up there next to Blowout. Rick, should it be lost? You enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs> except except <laughs> no, the I don't whole think thing. it should be lost. Yeah, it does encapsulate everything about Brian De Palma, and I think in, in some ways it's less problematic. If you want to recommend a Brian De Palma movie to someone, and like that's the, always the question, right? Is like, should oh, would it be you recommend found? this yeah, to so someone? Should it be found? Would you recommend this to your coworkers or students? <laughs> Probably not, but I feel like you have to be indoctrinated into De Palma world to accept some of the craziness of Blowout. As I think about it, like all the all the Fourth of July stuff, right? Mm. He's <laughs> screaming in front of the American flag. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like now that the Liberty Bell it. killer. Yeah, I love. I love that movie, even though I dismiss it as a ripoff, but I love it. It's a great ripoff, blowout, but yeah, boy, I'm trying to think now what movie, De Palma movie I would recommend to people. Untouchables is sort of the upright Brian De Palma film, right? It's the classy, historical Brian De Palma film. He rips Kevin off uh, Battleship Potemkin. Potemkin, <laughs> right? That's the thing. He ripped <laughs> At least off. he rips off a silent movie. Yeah. <laughs> Baby carriage going down the steps. Which, yeah, yeah I mean, that's kind of the, with this Carlito's way. He definitely references that with the escalators, you know, the train station. Mm-hmm. That was all. The same scene. The stairs. Yeah. Should this film be rewound, Jim? Would you Would you watch this film again? Yeah, I'd probably watch it again. I I want to watch Blowout again. It's I can't remember blowout at all. I mean, I kind of vaguely remember it, but I'm definitely more interested in watching that again. I want to watch again where Carlito gets away from the gangsters in the train station, who gets off the subway. I want to watch that again where he gets away from them by hiding behind a bunch of balloons. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, just, yeah. You know, yeah, that balloon. And he ducks behind the, the column. Yeah. There's just like some balloons yeah. getting away, the and then he's like, Whoa. and then the, the <laughs> gangsters are all like, where'd he go? Where'd he go? <laughs> that was great. <laughs> I want to see how he did that, because that's, that's a good skill to have. It's all kind of like a comic book, like the whole end, yeah, when he gets finally gets shot and the police are like 50 feet away. You know, they've just killed the guy, the gangster guy. And there's this other shooting happening just 50 feet down the, this woman screaming and he gets shot and then the other guy gets shot. And then, I don't know, I guess John Leguizamo gets away. Who knows what happened? You don't know what happens then, but... Don't they but kill John Leguizamo? I thought he dies, right? I thought someone... No. Oh, no. he gets away? That's just wishful thinking. Luis Guzman <laughs> dies. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah. Guzman, he shoots Leguizamo. Like shoots Let's go. He's like, Guzman, you stay here. Was... <laughs> yeah. No, but that's all. That's just you know, it's all stylized and it's like a comic book. You know, that's all. That's fine. Whatever. <laughs> it's not a documentary. <laughs> so. I could always watch Pacino like he was in the drug deal gone bad scene where he's in the bathroom and he's screaming about how he's reloading his gun. <laughs> it's like you're gonna die a big time. I'm reloaded now. And so right. he's really in that. He keeps announcing his intentions. Like, it's probably not the best thing you want to do when you're trying to sort of deceive somebody. <laughs> He's an actor playing a character mm-hmm. who is acting. Exactly. And there's no way he's going to disrespect the art form. <laughs> the craft. Yeah, the craft by making that guy's act realistic. No, he's got to act 
show that just an everyday guy, Puerto Rican drug dealer guy, is not going to be able to act like Al Pacino can act. That's how I've approached every role I've ever had is as as an a, an excellent actor playing a guy who's not a very good actor, and that's you know that that takes skill, it takes a lot mm-hmm. of skill. This musician was in this short film. We had a shared booking agent and watched this short film and. And I said, wow, he is a really bad actor. And the booking agent said, I think that's intentional. <laughs> and I said, no, a, a good actor who's intentionally being bad, you know they're intentionally being bad. When you just say to yourself, that's a bad actor, that's not, that's not a good actor. That's not somebody acting bad. That's just bad acting. Well, now, here's where I get kind of overly critical about things. When... I saw Don Cheadle in Crash. Michael said to me, oh, wasn't he amazing in it? I said, no, he was terrible in it. And he's like, what do you mean he's terrible in it? I said, you could see him acting. I can't stand it when you can see the actors acting. Whereas some people think, oh my God. You know, like uh, John Malkovich. Sometimes you can just see him acting. And it's to most people, it looks like good acting. To me, it's like, Jesus Christ. I just want to watch your character be real. I don't want to watch you acting. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. But I, I, I feel like I see Al Pacino acting. That's true. He gets away with it, though, for some yeah. because, <laughs> right. because so why yeah why does that happen? So why do some people get away with? Because it, it looks like he's having fun. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to point out one of my favorite lines from this film is when um, Carlito's talking to Sasso trying to get him, trying to buy in into the disco. And he's talking to Sasso about how his gambling problems might have him end up in the trunk of a car. And he says to him, what's that smell? That's Sasso. It used to be Ron. Because Sasso keeps calling himself Ron. It's Ron now. What's that smell? Sasso. Used to be Ron. Scott, anything you want to plug for the show? Plug. Anything you want to sell or plug? Masks, vaccines, vaccines, common, common human decency. <laughs> Stay inside. Vaccines. Can I plug vaccines? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Which one? Yeah. Which one are you plugging? Pfizer or Moderna? I'm plugging the Moderna today. I think it's better. <laughs> I've heard some things about the Pfizer one. I'm not too excited about, so I'm going with Moderna today. You don't? I've tried both. Yeah, do a mix. <laughs> yeah. Can you ask, ask ask for that? Yeah. I'm gonna ask. Yeah, when I when it's my turn to get my get vaccinated, I'm gonna ask for a mix. Oh, wait. There's one thing I had to say. Oh, I I can't believe I almost let this go by. What's with the microphone, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you let it go by. I know. I'm. So I've been, I've been, it was popping up in my mind, but we were talking about other things. Scott, the microphone I normally use is that you know that atrocious. Uh, like RKO looking mic that I have right. in the control room. And Rick gives me shit for it. And I have to say, I use it because I bought it. And if I don't use it, it makes me feel bad about having bought that thing and not using it. But today, I have it packed away. So I just picked a SM7 up and started using it. Still no beta 58. It's slowly getting closer, though. I mean, it's just <laughs> yeah. it's, now it's about one fourth the size of the last microphone I used. So I'm 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 working my way down to a beta 58. <laughs> it's time time for your joke, Jim. Right? Oh yeah, it's about sure mics. It's, it's the same capsule. It's all you know, all sure mics. It's all the same capsule. It's just different housings. <laughs> I say that to yeah, 
to like Tom and Darren and those guys. And just Tom, you know, they get set really them mad. off. It's just a bad joke. It's just because yeah, SM57s and SM58s are the same microphone with the different windscreen. It's just one. Well, that so one has a ball. That is true. I just say though, every right? every sure mic is the same microphone, and they they get mad because <laughs> because I keep saying it every time. Not every time. But it's a no, it's not a. It's, they don't find it funny at all. They're, they've been a doc, talk about cults. Yeah, they're <laughs> they're deep in the sure cult. Lost and Found and Rewound is fully funded by Lost and Found and Rewound Foundation funds. Lost and Found and Rewound does not use crowdfunding because our listeners have better things to do with their funding. There's no need to post reviews of Lost and Found and Rewound because our listeners have more valuable things to do with their time. In all sincerity, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate it. Lotus Pod.